But in the mind and heart of God, we are identified. So therefore, that is applied to us. Now, the element of faith has to take place. A prayerful type of waiting and expecting and trusting God to make that reality happen in our experience. But Jesus, it's all set up. It's ready to go. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. After enjoying this discussion of God's Word, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I ask that you would give meaning to this time of explaining your Word, teaching your Word. Lord, for those who are followers of Christ, they have an unction from the Holy One, and they don't need anyone to teach them in the sense that they don't need a person to give them what they already have. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. We can explain, we can lead people to the truth. We can't place anything as a teacher in a person's heart. We can't open their eyes to spiritual realities. We can't enable people to experience Christ. Lord, we don't look at teaching in a Greek form or Greek format where you know, we're teaching someone, we're putting something into their mind. It's just biblically, we know according to the truth, that's not the case. We, we put facts out into the air. And then the Holy Spirit either takes those and applies them to, a heart, to the heart. And then in the, in the course of time, give experience. And with that experience comes true knowledge. True knowledge that turns um, a light as sown as a seed into the noonday sun. And we know that you're that teacher. And we give you that praise and that glory. And now hide this teacher uh, behind the cross so that we see only Jesus and give him all the glory. I ask these things in his name. Amen. This message is in the Roman Revelation series, episode 25, from Romans 8, verses 11 through 14, starting in verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh 
to live according to the flesh. For if you are living in accord with the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Romans 8, verses 11 through 14 of title this message, These Are the Children of God. You know, I went on a mountain trip sometime, mountain biking, many years ago, with a friend, good friend. He had some really expensive bikes, and we had a great day. I was back in my 40s, uh, pretty good shape for my age at that time. About halfway through the trail, we stopped, we sat, um, we ate something, and then he gave me something that was in a silver foil packet, and I drank it. And I have never <laughs> been given anything that gave me really good quality energy like that packet before or since. I mean, it wasn't like a rush that you know kind of gave you the shakes after. Like I don't know, sometimes I have low blood sugar. I mean, I felt better than I did before I started. I mean, I, it, was a, it was a great experience. I do understand that the shape that I was in, you know, was my greatest resource at that, even that day. And, and I've always thought, you know, I, I've never drunk coffee. And the main reason, I, I didn't want to have to depend on something. Like I hear so many people, oh, you know, I can't start until I have my first cup of coffee. It's like, no, I'm not doing that. And so I haven't done that. I try to eat well, and if I can't have good energy throughout the day, then I try to step up my my eating, um, which I'm not always successful at. Usually I have too much on my mind. But, you know, the principle here is, and it's simple in, in when sim, uh, comparing it to the Christian life, it, in the Christian life, the best diet is a life of dependence upon God. Through prayer, through prayer and asking God for the Holy Spirit to do the things that cannot be done by natural ability. Self-effort or in the flesh just doesn't get the job done. Now, continuing from last week's study uh, in verse 11, which we, we touched on last week, I just want to review this. Uh, verse 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Think of it. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, everything in life finds its beginning, its source in God. In salvation, it finds its source in the person of Jesus Christ, which is, is made personal through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he says, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that's where it starts. Salvation starts from Jesus being raised from the dead. I mean, it may become personal to us, and we are given new, newness of life. But there is no newness of life apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, that is the key to everything. Because you see, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there had to be a death. We understand the sufferings of the cross and the death of the cross. It has meaning 
real meaning in the life of a person because of the resurrection from the dead. Because we need also to be raised from the dead. From the dead uh, is not able to respond to impulses in Greek. Not able to respond to impulses or perform functions. Unable, ineffective, dead, powerless, unresponsive to life-giving influences. I mean, pinch a dead person, nothing. Inoperable, inoperative to the things of God. That's what we're talking about. Who raised Jesus, of all people, from the dead. From the dead. Jesus passed into death. He experienced it just like every person experiences who's experienced death. Now, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, dwell, that's oikos, a house, dwelling place, habitation, properly, in Greek, to make a home, living at home comfortably because it is one's residence to be at home. We understand the concept. You know, it's safe, it's secure, it's our place for many people. It's a place of, meant to be, a place of security and safety and where you feel comfortable. If, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, dwells comfortably, resides there because there's holiness taking place, righteousness, there's newness of life, well, he who raised Christ from the dead, he who raised Christ from the dead, the principle of God and Christ at the beginning and as the source of all things can never be stated too much. He states it again. I mean, just like in the same verse, you know, he's just saying this twice. Why? Because Christ could have raised, Christ could have raised himself. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead? That's the Holy Spirit. Christ is the second person of the, of the Trinity. Christ is the God who's in the burning bush speaking to Moses. It's not consumed. He's, a, he's an unquenchable fire, a consuming fire, the scripture says. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he, he was always living in cooperation with God, the Father, raised that spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus did not bear witness of himself according to the law. You know, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. The Father and, and the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And they bore witness that he was righteous. Which we'll look into a little bit later in, in, this, in this message. But he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life. Now that's to cause what is dead or inoperative to have life. In power with divine life. Will also give life. I think of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, and crucifixion is death. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is, this is the crucified yet living life. But if he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal body. Now, this mortal body, this is really important to look at in this passage, properly subject to dying. That's what a mortal body is. <laughs> it, it dies. It's, it's mortal. It's, it has mortality. The inevitability of physical death is always present. Paul is not speaking of some time in the future here in this verse. He's speaking about the living reality of those who receive Christ, who died and rose from the dead to impart life in their mortal bodies. Life. God-loving, God-desiring, God-obeying life. Real life. Eternal life. The life that is imparted from God with his character, his knowledge, his wisdom, his motives, his desires, his godliness. That life that raised Jesus from the dead is given to our mortal bodies. Not immortal bodies. Not talking about the future. He's talking about mortal bodies. Now this is... this. You know, Romans 8, is, it's, the way Romans is laid out, it can just be on the surface, it can just touch things, and, and it goes as deep as you want it to go. It, it goes deeper than you can go. It's, just, it's a beautiful book, and, it has, and it's filled with promises. It's, it's filled with the covenant-keeping God. It's, it's filled with the, the juice of spiritual life coming out of Romans Five, six, seven, and now eight's an explosion of what it means to live in the Spirit. The means of receiving the life of God is again stated through His Spirit who dwells in you. He's going to give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Living by the Spirit of God is essential to living as a Christian. I don't mean any disrespect on this. I really don't. But, you know, charismatics do not have a corner on the life of God any more than Baptists have a corner on heaven. In fact, worship is not becoming emotional on a Sunday morning because of the beat of the music. That's, that's not the meaning, the biblical meaning of worship. Spiritual, uh, spiritual life excuse me, is the reason for which we were created. Through the Holy Spirit, we can have spiritual intimacy with God. Spiritual intimacy. Emotions may be involved in that and should be to some extent. But we're talking about by the Holy Spirit, we receive authentic power for living. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we're weak, feeble, completely unable to wage war against the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of that fighting and that strength and that knowledge and wisdom, it all comes out of an intimate relationship in the Spirit with God, through the Spirit with the living God. Spiritual, spiritual intimacy. Spiritual life in this age is about the victory of living a holy life. It's about getting to know God. Philippians chapter 3. You know, I mean, what, why did Paul, what was his motive for living? It was to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Through the Holy Spirit, we can have spiritual intimacy. Spiritual life in this age, it's about victory. Set apart from everything 
every evil influence, whether it be people or demons. Not that we do not love people into the kingdom. We just don't allow them to draw us back into Satan's kingdom. That's what separation really is. It's not going out of the world. It's going into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and presenting the gospel to people for their salvation, but not getting entangled with them. And believe me, if there's one thing, and I hate to even say this, that a Christian can do, just like Israel, is get entangled with the world. I mean, it's just all around the Christian community. More ways than I I don't even want to think about. As Paul continues on from verse 12, he picks up the pace a bit. We can see by the way he he words it. Of course, I'm doing it in English. But in verse 12, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. I, I love that negative slant on the way it's presented. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We live... We have, what we have, are not begotten of God by the flesh. It's just the opposite. At best, the flesh is neither good or evil. I mean, in that term, the way it's used in this part of the verse, Jesus lived in the flesh, but for Jesus, he was always good. Why? Because he despised any and every form of evil. Because he despised every form of disobedience to his heavenly Father whom he had, as always, loved infinitely. He, he beheld the glory of God the Father in, it, in an eternal state, without beginning, to perfection, and the Holy Spirit, outside of time. Jesus deplored and deplores all evil for the very opposite reason we, we find it that we can sin. We in our sinful flesh despise God, have no respect for God, do not even acknowledge his existence in the old man, the man born to Adam. But Jesus, it's perfectly true what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, this verse This verse is the last verse, in my opinion, in the entire Bible that we should ever take lightly or think lightly of it. He made him, that's God the Father, made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf. Now, I I can technically say, you know, the made him to be sin is boring, bearing, the wrath of sin, the penalty of sin. I I can say those things. But there's a, a deeper meaning, a much deeper meaning that I can't explain in this. Jesus never sinned. Sin was abhorrent to the Son of God as the Father and the Holy Spirit. And yet there's a reality, the way this is worded, that he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf. I mean, make no mistake, when the Father poured out his wrath, he poured his wrath out on sin. Was Jesus sinful in that state? No. Did he 
make him to be sin to punish. Yes, and I'm not, I can't explain it. I don't want to do it injustice, and that's all I'll do. But let's take this for what it says. He made him new. He made him who knew, who knew properly, Gnosko, properly to know, especially through personal experience. He, he knew. What did he know? He knew no sin. In the Greek, it's the word may. It's pronounced may. Rules out of any implications. It rules out any implications. Suggestions that could be involved with what should, could, would apply. You get that? It rules out any implications that could be involved with what should, could, or would apply. Even negates the underlying idea, the concept of a statement. Ruling out its possibilities. This is the Greek of no i.e. all that it suggests on a conceptual or hypothetical plane. It means the most emphatic no. He made him who knew absolutely, completely, we don't even have words to really describe, no sin. He knew no sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. To be sin. To not hit the target. It's that, that word form that describes sin in English. We get the word sin to hit the target. Look, if anyone ever hit the target better or more perfectly than Jesus Christ, there, there's no one. It even begins to come close. like coming close to infinity. It's like, no. No one can come close to hitting the target, but... He, he who knew no sin, he, he made to be sin, to miss the target. Like, it's, 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 it's always beyond comprehension. It's hard to unfold, and yet this is the reality. This is truth. The, this comes from the mouth of God. This, this comes from the God who created all things. He thought it up, and he just did it. He spoke, and there was light. He spoke, you know, and there was a universe, and there was matter. And then there was organization. And that's what God does. This is the truth. Furthermore, it is in the, the, the brand of sin that emphasizes its, its self-originated, self-empowered nature. I.e., it is not originated or empowered by God. That's what God the Father made Jesus to be. The, the, as the sin bearer even though in his essence, in his person, he could be the, the furthest thing from that. And again, I can't explain that. So this sin is self-empowered. It's not of faith. Everything Christ did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And immediately in the Spirit brought him out into the wilderness, Mark 1.12. Now, the Spirit didn't have to bring him out. Jesus knew the plan and Jesus could do it. But you see, he gave himself to be controlled by the Spirit. Jesus was Almighty God. He, Like I said earlier, He was the I Am that I am. He did not need to rely upon the Holy Spirit for anything. But to be a faithful and understanding high priest, and a high priest is one who intercedes, He lived exactly how He expects us to behave. See, this is where 
identification, when you understand that we're identified with Christ and we're meant to be intimate with Jesus. But in the mind and heart of God, we are identified. So therefore, that is applied to us. Now, the element of faith has to take place. A prayerful type of waiting and expecting and trusting God to make that reality happen in our experience. But Jesus, it's all set up. It's ready to go. Christ was and is divine, completely God and completely man. When he died upon the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, Eloi, Eloi, Hama Sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? As a man, he felt completely abandoned by God. God the Father was present in the wrath. He's hanging on the cross for, I believe, the last three hours when it got dark. He suffered at the hands of men for the first three. The last three, a darkness came over, and the lights went out, and the wrath came on, and there's no looking in and seeing what's going on. We just know that he, throughout the scriptures, bore the wrath of God in our place. And so after that three hours, it's the Eloi, Eloi, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? God was gone. The wrath was gone. It was finished. No one could or will ever feel as alone as the man who carried the entire weight of all those for whom he died, and then there was nothing. The God who he knew with intimate fellowship throughout eternity in an eternal state we can't there's no thinking of eternal state we we don't know that but for jesus he he knew that now all of a sudden there's this wrath and then the wrath comes to an end and god's not even there <clears throat> and then in luke 23:46 father into your hands i commit my spirit John 19.30, it is finished, bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Nobody took it from him. The nails didn't do it. The cross didn't do it. The, the lashing didn't do it. None of it. He, he, he actually spoke with a loud voice and gave up the spirit. Verse 13 in Romans chapter 8, For if you are living in accord with the flesh, you are going to die. So in verse 12, we read, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. That's not going to do anything. For if you are living according to the flesh, you're going to die. You must die. To die of the punishment of death. Hebrews 10.28, same word. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And to perish by means of something fixed in sin. That's the word, to die. To perish by means of something or fixed in sin. Hence, to die unreformed as the days count down to Jesus' cross and he encounters the the Pharisees, with their seething hatred for him so that he would die. John 8, 21. Here's the word. Then he said again to them, 
I am going away and you will look for me and will die in your sin. That's the idea. You will die in your sin. Verse 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Die by the connection with Adam. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sinned. The reason for death is sin. You see a man who hasn't died, and you'll see someone who hasn't sinned. But good luck with that one. Verse 13, For if you are living in accord with the flesh, you're going to die. Verse 13b, But, this is a great conjunction, But, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, that's what we already talked about, that, that produces, that flesh that produces no faith in God, no acknowledgement of God, no love for God, no obedience for God, just self, selfishness and self-pride. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit, that's by the breath of the living God, by the life of God, if by the Spirit put to death, death here is a different word, in, in verse 13b, this death is to be liberated from the bond of anything. We put to death nothing, but we can, by the Spirit, put to death that which enslaves us because Jesus died in our place. By identification with Jesus Christ and, and our faith in his death and his promises, his covenants, we, we, we trust in who he is, we put to death death. We put to death, death. We're liberated from the slavery that binds us to doing the things we hate to do as Christians. Christian doesn't like to sin. A Christian hates to sin deep down. We do it because of the, the flesh that hangs on, that's crouching at the door, trying to destroy us along with the, the world and the devil. As in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself brought our sins in his own body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Die to that which would enslave us, so that we might live righteously. Doing the right thing. By his wounds, you are healed. Or Galatians 5.24-26. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh. When did that happen? When Christ died on the cross. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the, the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, the Spirit just carries the life, the death into the grave. He carried it there and he brought it back up again in newness of life. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Why? Because we've got the freedom. We've got the liberty to not do that. We have the liberty not to not do those things. So when Paul says, these are the sons and daughters of God, of whom is, is he speaking? 
Verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. I love this verse. I love this verse. Romans 8.14. For all those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Led. In the Greek, it means to lead by laying hold of. To lead by laying hold of. To lead by accompanying. Attach oneself as an attendant. What's that mean? Well, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He leads those who are being led, those who are being led by what the Spirit is doing. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He leads, he accompanies, he attaches, he attends. We're told in Numbers 12.3, I love this portion, in Numbers 12, 3, interesting verse. I don't know how you think about Moses. But now the man Moses was very humble. More than any person who was on the face of the earth. I don't know, maybe you see uh, Burt Lancaster, you know, and kind of a arrogant man who was a general in real life, Moses was. And then something happens. He goes out, kills an Egyptian, uh, runs away from Pharaoh. Why? Because he numbered himself with the children of Israel and he, he identified with them. He, he gave himself over to, to God. And, and then he took matters in his own hands and he, he murdered a man. I mean, what did he think he was going to do? Kill the Egyptians one by one? Uh, you know, it's not reasonable. We don't always do things reasonable. Godly people, we could wish we always did reasonable things. We don't. And Moses didn't. And after 40 years of life, learning who he was as a general and a, uh, hopefully to be a pharaoh in Egypt, the greatest nation in the world at the time, he, uh, he runs away and spends the next 40 years herding sheep. I mean, all he's heard was blah, 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 blah. You know, that's all he heard. He heard sheep. And he, it was done. You know, he lost his chance. You know, he's, he doesn't get to play at the palace. You know, he's not going to sing on Broadway. It's done. He's not going to serve God, or so he thought. Of course, in the mind of God, it was all in the plan because after that 40 years, he had, God had a man he was going to work with. He humbled him, and, and he made something of him. And I'm going to, it's going to show you that right now in Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 16. Again, if you're driving your car, don't try to read anything. You know, Go back to it later. It's Exodus 33, verses 12 to 16. Then Moses said to the Lord, Jehovah, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Stop and paraphrase this for a minute. Um, I can't go alone. Uh, somebody's got to go with me. Then he goes back and he says, moreover, you've said, I mean, he's telling God what God said, like, like he didn't know. I mean, it's not, it almost comes across arrogant, but actually it's the furthest thing from arrogance. I'm going to show you that. You've said, I have known you by name. That's God speaking to Moses saying, I have known you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now then, Moses says to God, if I found favor in your sight uh, in any way, please let me know your ways so that I may know you in order that I may find favor in your sight. I mean, he's, he's, he's complicated. He's, he's like, he's, he's thinking through this, and it's a little bit confusing. Now, wait a minute. Um, I'm like a sinful man. 
Uh, I don't know all your ways. I mean, just look how I've messed up my life. Just think how I was confused before. And you're saying that I've found favor in your sight. And like, I need to know all your ways so I don't keep messing this thing up. You see the humility coming through here? I mean, it's just squeaking out. And then he goes on. And he says, uh, consider too that this nation is your people. Oh, man. I just wish I could hear more people say that. I mean, I've heard John MacArthur say it, you know, many times. And I've met him and I, you know, I just, I know that the, in the heart of the man, so many sermons I've heard, you know, in the heart of the man is like, this church belongs to Christ, not me. You know, no, no illusions of grandeur, no like, you know, oh, we got 7,000 people, look the great thing I'm doing, you know, look at the, you know, and just build up the pride, let's build it up, you know, no, none of that. Wait a minute, consider this too, Lord, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall not go with you, and I will give you rest. He said, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. That, gee, that, that sounds pretty reassuring, right? I mean, God's saying he's going to go with, his presence is going to go with you, and I'll give you rest. Then he said to him, Moses is just carrying this on. Let's, let's be really real sure about this. Okay, Lord, please. If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. I want to paraphrase, I think, what was really in his heart. Look, if you don't go up with me, I ain't going. I mean, you know, if you tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, forget it. You're never going to convince me. Because this is one of the, and it's not a funny, I mean, this is serious. But at the same time, it, it's hilarious. Because that's exactly what he's saying. And he says to God, after he says, I'm going with you, I'm going to give you rest. Look, let's just be sure about this. If your presence does not go with us, with me, do not lead us up from him. I ain't going. Verse 16, he says, for how then can it be known? He's, he's still in make, making this point. How can it be known that, that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the people who are on the face of the earth? I mean, can you get a better man than this? A man going from the height of pride to destroyed, a lot like the disciples at the cross, you know, arguing who's going to be the greatest, and then destroyed because of leaving Jesus Christ at the greatest moment, the greatest moment of need in anyone's ever life as a man. And then totally broken, just you know, just weeping, sobbing in, in anguish over having lost Christ and having de denied him. Same principle. It happened with them. It happened with Moses. And Moses comes to this place. No one's going to know that there's any difference unless you're there. Because, see, your presence makes the difference. It's going to make me obedient. It's going to make me prayerful. It's going to make me humble. It's going to make me everything I don't see in this people who have seen ten times destroying Egypt. All the signs, all the wonders, all the glory, all the good. And all they want to do is stone me. And they want to go back to Egypt. Because an unrepentant heart 
wants to go back to Egypt. Moses did not have any audacity here. He had humility here. He got it. He understood what spiritual life is really about. And believe me, it's about living a holy life. Throwing away the impurity, the immorality, you know, the internet. Getting rid of all of that. Getting rid of the jealousy and the covetousness and the pride and the arrogance and the lust for power. And I hate to even say it, but it's, it's in Christian circles, okay? We're not living in a time of revival right now. I pray for it all the time. But this is not revival. But holy life, a humble life, is about a person who's relying about on God. And when we really rely on God, those things, they don't become important. Forgiveness becomes possible. Humility becomes possible. So, he ends with this. These are the sons and daughters of God. Who? Those who are being led by the Spirit of God. The person being led by the Spirit of God, he bears the fruit, she bears the fruit of a Moses or a Peter or a James or John and Andrew. You know, these men, Matthew and Simon and the Zealot and, you know, these men who who are just men. Men who just got built up with pride like in, in three years. I mean, it was, their heads were getting, and they had to get destroyed. They had to get destroyed emotionally and spiritually. They had to be broken so they could be used as apostles. And that's why the church is suffering the way it is now because, and I'm only looking at fruit. I, I can't judge anyone's heart. I'm not even going to try. It doesn't matter. What's the fruit? Is the fruit humility? Is the fruit uh, um, a people that was supposed to be as in the nation of Israel or did it turn out to be a Levitical priesthood that had to surround the tabernacle because if anyone came near it, they were going to die. The Levites were chosen and, and that was at, the, at the, uh, the, lamb, the golden lamb, you know, that they, they turned into an idol and Moses come down, breaks the law uh, says, who's on my side? The Levites do it. Uh, okay, and they start killing people. They start holding Israel accountable for what was going on so that they could have a pure nation. And it just carried on for 40 years because for 40 years, the people just died in the wilderness because they were unsaved. They were unbroken. They, were, they, were, they never turned from their sin. And that's not, that's, you see, you couldn't tell who was and who wasn't. These are the sons and the daughters of God. Those who are being led by the Spirit of God. They've been humbled, broken, and now they're, it's possible to, for God to lead them. These are the sons and daughters of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this good word that you've given us. You've given us Romans chapter 8 to look into, to study, to, to meditate on, to pray over. You've given us promises. You've, you've given us the love that we can see in the person of Jesus Christ as he went to the cross and, and he became sin for us. He was made to be sin for us. This is, words don't express 
what we what we get by reading about things that we can't comprehend. We take them by faith because God doesn't lie, because you don't lie, Lord. It's 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 not in your being. It's you're not capable. There are things God can't do. You can't lie. You won't lie. You won't you will only tell the truth. And you are a consuming fire in that way, in every way of holiness. We thank you, Lord, for this word because you've made it possible for us to, even in this life, to partake to a much further degree than we realize in that righteous, holy, determined, resolved will to do what's right and holy and just and good. And I ask, dear Lord, that you would take this message and these words and my hearers, let them hear this good word and, and be broken themselves. Be given a spirit that's, that desires to partake in these things, in this fruit, in the, in the milk of the word, in the meat of the word that gives us the power to live a godly life so that people around will we'll wonder what, what, what's different about this person. What, what's changing this person? What's making them talk and act like this? I mean, that's the purpose. Not for us to brag about who we are, but uh, uh, in order to share the gospel. Lord, make us better than, than that generation that came out of Egypt that fell and died a whole generation in 40 years. They were worthless, just unto death. Make us a people who disciple, who go into world and into the world and, and disciple people, teaching them to observe all things that you taught the apostles and who, who wrote it out in the New Testament and, and to observe those things, to be baptized and, Lord, to go back into the world and, and evangelize and baptize. Make the people, not just some leaders, but the people who are bought by the same blood of Christ, make us all to be faithful witnesses and we'll give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.